This summer, Jennifer and I, we celebrated 12 years of marriage. 12 years. That's good. Every year of marriage is worth celebrating. For us, for you, every year is worth celebrating. We're thankful for it. Jennifer and I celebrated 12 years of marriage. And thinking back to our first date, uh, Jennifer and I met in the college and young adult group at the church that we were part of in Wisconsin. And we really got to know each other by going to a retreat for college students and young adults. Now, we don't as single people, you don't go to a church for the purpose of meeting a mate, but it is a great place to meet a mate, as we learned. So Jennifer and I went to this uh, college and young adult retreat, and things went so well. She, she drove up with me. We drove back together, and I invited Jennifer to go out to ice cream with me uh, for a first date. Well, I went to pick her up. She was staying with her parents at the time. I went to pick her up from her parents' house, and I said, Jennifer, where would you like to go to ice cream? Do you have any preference? And she said, well, what I really would like is to have a meal. (laughs) So we went to have dinner. We had dinner. We had a great time, and we come back to her parents' house. I drop her off, and we're standing on the front steps of her uh, parents' house, and this is our first date. And Jennifer looks at me, and she says, uh, what's the situation here? Is this a friend thing? Is this a dating thing? I was not expecting that. And of course, no one on the first date can say, well, I think you're really gorgeous. I had a great time with you. Um, I, maybe we're going to get married someday. I don't know. You can't say that. So what I did say, Jennifer, she tells it better than I. She's not here this week, but you can fact check this with her next Sunday. Uh, She tells it much better than I do. She said I was very diplomatic in my answer. I said, well, I really enjoyed my time with you. I think that you're a good person. If you enjoyed spending time with me, I would enjoy spending more time with you. And let's see what happens. Well, now we're married and we have four kids. I bring this up today because I appreciate Jennifer's directness. It's one of her character qualities. Jennifer is direct. And what we're going to see today as we continue our summer conversation around the questions that Jesus asked, Jesus asked a very direct, blunt question to two people during their very first encounter with Jesus, a very direct, blunt question. And we'll get to that in just a moment. This summer, as we're talking about questions Jesus asked, we are looking at questions recorded in the Bible asked by Jesus, and there are hundreds of questions. See, Jesus, he knew the power of a question. He often answered questions with a question. What we're seeing is that in conversations, and many of us know this from our own life, that questions have greater chance to compel change than statements. If you have a mentor in your life and you would explain why that mentor relationship is so valuable, it's not because of all the statements that they feed into you. It's because they know how to ask the right questions to lead you along. And last week, Pastor Pat brought a great word talking about this question that Jesus asked, why are you so preoccupied about the little splinter in your friend's eye when there's a big old log in your eye? Pastor Pat, thank you for your message last week. We watched it and then we listened to it again on podcast. 
Questions are powerful because questions cause us to reflect. Questions reveal our motives. Questions can make us uncomfortable. Questions can cause us to be vulnerable. Questions, we can react with honesty or we can react with defensiveness. In fact, when we're doing something that we're not supposed to do, we don't like a lot of questions. Questions can bring clarity when there's confusion. Many of us would say that when we go back to decisions that we wish that we could do over again, we, we, we say, I wish we would have asked more questions before making that decision. The questions that Jesus asked then, he's asking us today, and this series is challenging us to grow through our answers to Jesus' questions. So as I said, we're going to see two people who were curious enough about Jesus, who knew enough about Jesus to approach him, and the first recorded words that Jesus speaks to them, it's a question. And the question that Jesus asked then, he may be asking you today, and what we're going to see is that this question, 2,000 years later, the way we answer it has the potential, has the power to radically change our lives. So I'm going to invite you to open up or power up your word to John chapter 1, John chapter 1 today. And as we look to this uh, account of this event from history, what we see in John chapter 1 is uh, there's a man named John the Baptist. And by any definition, John would be a cultural outsider. He lived not in the city, he lived in the wilderness. John's clothes were made out of camel hair. Whenever I read that, I just feel itchy. Now, there are all kinds of diets. You have apps that we can put on our phone like Noom and Weight Watchers. We have the paleo diet, the gluten-free diet, the DASH diet. John uh, the Baptist, his diet was what? Wild locusts and honey. Now, I'm no dietitian, but I do believe this. If you were to commit to a diet of locusts and honey, I think you would experience weight loss in your life. John was a cultural outsider, but he was a spiritual insider. See, John made incredibly bold, controversial comments, forecasting statements, prophetic statements about the coming Messiah. All of this got the attention of the religious elites. John made controversial, bold statements, but statements that were true. What we see is that priests, they came to confront John the Baptist on the banks of the Jordan River. And John the Baptist, he tells the priests that there's another one who's coming. And John says, I am not even worthy to tie his sandals. I'm not even worthy to do the Velcro strap on his tevas. Now, John the Baptist, he has students, he has his own disciples, and what we know, the way that people were taught back then was not by book reading, but it was by repetition. It was by repetition. And John repeated teachings about the one who was coming that would be greater than he was. Those students constantly heard to anticipate one who is greater. Then there on the banks of the Jordan River, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and declares to his students and everyone else, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist even makes the bold and controversial claim that based on what he has observed with his own eyes, he is convinced. John the Baptist says, I am convinced that Jesus is the Son of God. Bold, controversial, and John would be proven true. 
Then again, the next day, John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, look, the Lamb of God. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Two of the disciples leave John the Baptist and go to Jesus. Something that's valuable here, John the Baptist had more than two disciples. He had more than two disciples, but only two leave to go to follow Jesus. One of them is Andrew, and the other is another man named John. I have to, uh, this would be much easier if they had different names, because I don't want to flesh this out. It would be much easier. But the, this, another one is John. There's John the Baptist, and then there's Andrew and another John. And this is the John who actually wrote this account of the gospel. The evidence is that the, the two disciples are Andrew and John, John the brother of James, the one who would become an apostle, the one who would write this account of the gospel, the one who would write John 1, John 2, John 3, and Revelation, that John. The evidence is that John, that John, is here writing about his own first encounter with Jesus. Of all the students who heard about Jesus, only two, when given the opportunity, actually go in the direction of Jesus. To know about Jesus is not the same as following Jesus. All the students have known about Jesus, but only two actually make the decision to go and follow Jesus. And maybe that you're here today and part of your own story would be that you grew up in a church. You grew up going to a faith-based school or parochial school. Maybe a friend or a family member told you a lot about Jesus. You can answer all the questions, but to know about Jesus is not the same as following Jesus. What we see is Andrew and John, they knew about and then they chose to follow. So here comes the question. Here comes the question that Jesus asks. Keep in mind, this is the first thing that Jesus says to these two men. Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? One of the reasons I like this is because it was Jesus who often used the technique of responding to a question with a question. And here someone else uses the same technique in responding to Jesus. The first time that Jesus interacts with these two, he says, what are you seeking? Your translation may say, what are you looking for? Or even, what do you want? What do you want? You're here. What's the reason? Is there a question you think I may have the answer? Are you lost and you need directions? Is there a problem that I can help you solve? As students of John the Baptist, John and Andrew had repeatedly heard phrases like, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am for he existed long before me. And things like the one whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. They knew these things. So John the Baptist had so well prepared John and Andrew that when they heard, look, there is the Lamb of God, they know this is the man that John the Baptist has been talking about. So they have all this background. When they say, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Where are you staying? Now there is so much packed into this question that they respond with. See, they call Jesus teacher. They call Jesus teacher. 
Jesus, Jesus is acknowledged as, te- as a teacher. And then the would-be disciples or the will-be disciples identify him as teacher and they say, where are you staying? So if you're putting the pieces together along with me, you see that they have acknowledged a person as teacher and they say, where are you staying? So to do these two things, it sends the messages, you're a teacher and we want to be taught by you. You're a teacher and we want to be taught by you. Andrew and John call Jesus teacher in a way that, in that time that a student would call or address a teacher. What are you seeking? What do you want? What are you looking for? Teacher, where are you going? And I love how Jesus responds. The answer, um, before we get there, the answer is perhaps like your answer. They're saying, I'm not even quite sure what I'm seeking, but I've heard enough about you to know that I want to be where you are. I'm curious enough about you, Jesus, that I want to be taught by you. Where are you staying? Those who are curious then and anyone who's here that may be curious today, you may, you may say, I don't know enough about Jesus that I'm ready to follow him, but I know enough about him that I want to be near him. I want to understand more about who Jesus is. I want to have an encounter with Jesus. And so you may be saying, is there a space for me? What we want you to know today is that there is space for the curious to learn from Jesus. There is space for the curious to learn from Jesus. We have signage around this building that says, you belong here, you belong here. In fact, we've actually heard the testimony from several people who have come to join our church in the last several weeks and months saying that those words spoke powerfully to them of you belong here, we believe that. In fact, uh, we just put a banner on the parking lot that says this, when you drove in, maybe you saw it today, you belong here. We want you to know that it's possible that you will find belonging before you believe. And it's okay to belong before you believe. In fact, many in this room, we'd say it's part of our own story that we started coming and it took us a while of encountering Jesus before we understood what it meant to follow. Where are you staying? What we have in this, uh, translated in English for us as staying, it's often translated as to remain or to abide. Where are you remaining, Jesus? Where can we stay with you? And abide is such a great word. We don't use it often in conversation. You probably haven't used the word abide this week. But it's such a great word. To abide means to remain with to be stable with, to be with in action and in rest, to be with despite any opposition, to be with and to be patient with. You may know that Jesus would later say, abide in me and I in you, as the branch, that's us, cannot bear fruit by itself. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless what? Unless it abides in the vine, that's Jesus. Neither can you unless you abide in me, Jesus would later say. So John, reflecting on this encounter all these years later as he's writing his account of the gospel, may he, real, he may realize that this was so much more than a question of where are you sleeping tonight, Jesus. What the disciples are asking is where can we be with you? Where can we remain with you? Where can we be in your presence? And here comes Jesus' response, this is so good. Verse 39, so simple yet so good. Jesus said, come and you will see. 
Come and you will see. This is not Jesus saying, come and I'm going to show you the place where I'm staying, like I want you to see the furniture. Jesus says, come and you will see. Come and be in my presence. Come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him for that day, for it was about the 10th hour. They went with Jesus. It was about the 10th hour. This would be late in the afternoon, the 10th hour of daylight. You can imagine the disciples spending the rest of that late afternoon into the evening, perhaps late in, into the night, talking with Jesus, being with him in his presence, asking him questions, hearing what he has to say in response. The decision to go with Jesus is the first act of becoming a disciple, the act of following first century disciples learned from the words, the words and actions of their teacher by doing what? By following them, by being in their presence. The disciples came and stayed with Jesus for the rest of the day. But don't miss this. There's no description of what the place looks like where Jesus was staying. I believe this is absolutely intentional by God and by the Holy Spirit to not give us a description of the place where Jesus was staying. Because what would happen if John, in writing his account of the gospel, gave us a detailed account of where Jesus was staying? What would we do? We know that a house back then, it had a stone foundation. The walls were usually made of mud and straw. It was often a big common room surrounded by several smaller rooms. Windows were more like small openings in the wall. What if John had said all those things to us? How might we today mess that up? What would we do? We would build that. Because we would say, okay, this is where spiritual encounters happen. Spiritual encounters happen in simple homes with a stone floor and uh, mud and straw walls and little rooms off of a courtyard and tiny windows. We would do that. We would, we would mess it up thinking that that's where the spiritual encounter happens. There's the potential that we would confuse the place with the person. There's potential that we would confuse the place with the person. To follow Jesus is not simply about going to a place. It's about being with the person. Being a Christ follower is about a, a person, not a place. Now, you came to a place today. We value this place, but we are here to encounter a person. You're here to encounter a person. This is so important. The place is irrelevant if the person is not there. My first job out of college was in the city of Rochester, Minnesota. And I was working at a TV station there. And most of the coworkers that I had were also uh, just out of college. So the coworkers, because we all had come from other places, we weren't just coworkers, we were friends. And we were always excited when somebody new came to the TV station, a, a new coworker. Well, this one a new coworker came, and I was not a follower of Christ at that time, still not a Christian yet, and uh, she told us that she was a Christian. And I thought, well, to help her feel welcome, I thought, you're a Christian, so what you probably really would love to see is a beautiful church. And uh, you may know that in Rochester, Rochester, Minnesota is the home of the Mayo Clinic. And attached to one of those big, beautiful old hospital buildings is a very beautiful chapel that has arches and statues and stained glass windows. And I thought, man, she is just going to love this. I'm going to go and show her this church. And so we went to the church and it had the arches and the stained glass windows and the statues. And 
She was very kind and polite, and she said, this is a beautiful building, but Tom, you need to know that this is not what being a Christian is all about. Being a Christian doesn't mean you just like beautiful church buildings. It's not, if the place is irrelevant, if the person is not there. Andrew and John, they soak in this first encounter that they have with Jesus. If you know the historical account of Andrew and John's visit with Jesus, then you know what happens next. Verse 41, Andrew first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. John and Andrew, they had been under the teaching of John the Baptist. They heard all about the one who's coming. Then they meet the one who's coming. And the encounter is so powerful. Jesus says, come and you will see. Come and spend time with me. Come and spend time with me. And the first reaction after spending an evening, spending a night sitting with Jesus is, this was so amazing. You need to come experience it as well. Andrew is an inviter. Andrew is an inviter. We need inviters. We need Andrews. Be an Andrew. What an incredible sequence of events. Many of you, you can see this in your own faith journey. Andrew knew something about Jesus. Then after knowing something about Jesus, he takes a step beyond just knowing about him to actually knowing him, to encountering him. The question Jesus asks is, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? What do you want? And the response is seen more clearly in their actions and in their words. They say, we just want to be with you, Jesus, wherever you are. That's where we want to be. The first encounter with John and Andrew and Jesus is spending a late afternoon, evening, and that's so powerful that they don't want to keep it to themselves. Verse 42 begins this way. He brought him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. Many of us would say that encountering Jesus through praying and studying his words, his life, his death, his resurrection, it's so powerful that we can't keep it to ourselves, that we want to invite others to be with us. You may be here today, and if you've accepted an invitation to come as a guest of somebody else, maybe you've wondered, why does my neighbor keep inviting me? Why does my friend keep asking me to go to their church? Why does my relative, why does my brother, why does my sister keep in, inviting me? I don't understand why, but it's fine, I'll just go with you. Now, normally I would say if you accepted an invitation, it would be absolutely critical that the person who invite you pay for your lunch after service. <laughs> but today you're here on a great day because we're buying lunch. After the service is over, we're having a lunch for anybody who's new or newer to the church. So come. And if you invited somebody, come with them. Where, is it down here in the conference center? Come to lunch. We bought, we bought this week. You might be asking, why, why, why are you inviting me? Why would this church even buy me lunch? Here's the reason why. I don't want to speak for the person who invited you, but I believe it would go something like this. They have encountered Jesus in a way that has radically changed their life in a way that is so amazing, so powerful, so transformative that they want you to experience the same thing. Just as they have had a personal encounter with Jesus, it's their heart that you would have a personal encounter with Jesus. We know Andrew and his brother Peter, John and his brother James, they would leave the family fishing business to follow Jesus. Andrew, Peter, James, and John, they would become among the 12 disciples who would walk and talk with Jesus for three years. Now I want you to fast forward with me, fast forward all the way to what we know as the Last Supper, the final hours before Jesus would go to the cross. Three years earlier, it was John and Andrew who asked Jesus, 
where are you staying? Now it's Peter who asks a question. Verses 36 and 37. John 13, verses 36 and 37. John 13. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Now, we can miss the emotion, the heartbreak, the desperation, possibly even the anger in Peter asking this question. You have to remember, Jesus, three years ago, he said, you need to leave everything behind. I'm asking you, leave everything behind to follow me. And these are men who said, yes, we, we will leave everything behind to follow you. And that's exactly what they did for three years. They walked and talked with Jesus. They listened to his teachings over and over again. They were even empowered to go out and do the work by Jesus. Their whole life for three years has been nothing but following Jesus. And for, this, for now, Jesus to say, get ready, guys, because I'm about to go to a place where you can't come yet. And you can imagine what that would do to you. Your identity for three years has been you're, the, you're one of the group, you're one of the followers, you're one of the insiders. And now Jesus is saying, you, you can't come with me now. What you've been doing for three years, the way you've been following me, there's a moment and it's coming within hours where you're not going to be able to do this anymore. And we know that right after this, Jesus, Peter says, I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus said, well, actually, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. That's important. But for today, I don't want you to miss this. This is so devastating for Peter. So emotional. So heartbreaking. The thought of not being with Jesus. That Peter says, I would do anything, Jesus, to be with you. I don't want to give up following you. In fact, I would lay down my life to follow you. Jesus is forecasting his own death and resurrection. And what I want us to see today is that those of us who are committed to being with Jesus, committed to abiding, remaining with him, that there becomes a point in our life where we can no longer imagine life without him. The curious who are willing to abide in Christ will find a relationship they will not want to live without. And many of us would say that's our story. It started out as a curiosity. And we said, Jesus, I'm not even sure what my question is, but I think you may have the answer. What I want now is just to be with you. And those who, out of curiosity, commit to abiding and saying, I will be with you, Jesus. I want to learn from you. I want to encounter you. What happens, and there's no moment when you can say this is when it occurred, but just over time it occurs, you reach a point where you say, what started out as curiosity has reached a point where I cannot imagine my life without this relationship and I do not want to live without this relationship. At the center of the spiritual journey is following Christ. That's the center. Churches, pastors, Christ-following friends are all good things, but Christ is at the center. If our spiritual journey is centered on a church, on a pastor, on Christian friends, or anything else other than Jesus, it all will fall apart when work calls us away from that church, or a pastor goes on to another assignment, or there's a change in a Christian friendship. If, if those things are the center of our 
faith journey that it all falls apart when those things that can change do change. But Christ is unchanging. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and always. So it's, it's always been God's heart that Christ would be the one. All these other things are good, but Christ, it is God's desire that Christ will be at the center of our spiritual journey. We are at our best individually and as a church when each of us prioritize our relationship with Christ. So maybe you're here today and you would say, I'm curious about Jesus. Well, what if Jesus were to look at you and ask you the question? What are you seeking? What are you looking for? What is it that you want? You may be here today and you'd say, I sense that the way that I'm living is not the way that I'm supposed to be living. You may say, I feel separation between myself and God. You might say that despite all my accomplishments, I still sense a lack of purpose. You might tell Jesus that there's a broken relationship with your spouse, with your kids, with your friends, with your parents. You might say, you know what, there's an addiction, there's a diagnosis, there's a crisis. If Jesus were to say, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? What do you want? Your response may be similar to those disciples, John and Andrew. You know what, Jesus? I'm not sure how to fully answer that question right now, but here's what I do know. I want to be where you are. I want to learn from you. I want to encounter you. I want to be in your presence. I want more than just to know about you. I want to know you. I want to know you, Jesus. And the response from Jesus, so simple and so powerful. Come and you will see. Wow. Come and you will see. What an invitation. Come and you will see. Come and you will see. John writes his account of the gospel decades later, and the word talks about how the Holy Spirit brings back to remembrance the events of the past as John is able to record them. Well, you just have to wonder if someone ever came to John and, and said, John, what was your first encounter with Jesus? Many of us in this room today, if, if we were to ask you, or someone were to ask you, what was your first encounter with Jesus? You would be able to tell them the story of when someone explained the gospel to you in a way that made sense for the first time. Or you sat in a sanctuary, this one or another one, and someone explained to you something about Jesus, and you had a, your first personal encounter with Jesus. Maybe it was watching something or reading something, your first encounter with Jesus. What was your first encounter? Well, John, what was your first encounter with Jesus? It must have been something amazing, John, because we see what happened afterwards. John, we see that you left the family business. You left the business that had been in your family for generations. You left that to follow Jesus. Something must have happened in that first encounter, John, because you left everything behind and you walked and talked. You lived in relationship with Jesus for three years. Something must have happened, John, because you were there by the cross watching Jesus be crucified. Something must have happened, John, because you then devoted the rest of your life 
to telling as many people who would listen about Jesus. John, what is it that happened in that first encounter? What happened, John, that day that you met Jesus? And John, remembering that event clearly, would say, I remember Jesus, he looked at me and he said, what are you seeking? What is it that you want? What are you looking for? And you say, John, well, how did you respond? And John might say, all I could do in that moment is say, Jesus, wherever you are, that's where I wanna be. And John would say, that is the response that made all the difference. John made a decision, Jesus, wherever you are, that's where I wanna be. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ today. The name of Jesus, we look at this invitation to abide, this invitation to daily spend extravagant time with Jesus, to even die to our own schedule, to go to bed earlier, to wake up earlier, to put aside television or our phone or whatever it may be so that we can abide in Jesus, so that we can remain with Jesus, so that we can be with Jesus in rest and in action, so that no matter what comes our way, even if there's difficulty, that's where we wanna be. Father, may we be a church that is committed to being with Jesus. Wherever Jesus is, that's where we want to, to, to remain. Thank you, Lord. We're here to say today that if Jesus isn't in it, we want no part of it. Praise God.